Psalm number two. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. This concludes Psalm number 2. The book of Psalms is an expression, a collection of many uh, statements of uh, praise and prayers, and it contains some prophecies interwoven uh, in there as well. And uh, though they are all ancient writings, very ancient writings, um, it is remarkable at how true yet they still are and apply. It uh, is a marvel that is true for the Word of God. Even though it is ancient, it is not to be uh, discounted as irrelevant. In this day and age when uh, typically newer is better is the perception. That's not always true, but that's generally the perception uh, in this age that things that are newer are better. Things that are current are more relevant, uh, considered more relevant than what is old. Um, And to a certain degree, that may be true because knowledge is learning and increasing and so forth. And so uh, certain articles or books that may have been written centuries ago or even 10 years ago, certain things may be out of date and not nearly as relevant. Uh, But not so with the Word of God. Uh, Though it is an ancient writing, it has... It echoes itself, shall we say, its truth echoes and continually echoes into the future and into many uh, generations and eras uh, over human history. Uh, This statement here, uh, the psalmist is describing the reign of God's anointed. And elements of it can apply to an earthly king, um, Uh, I had come to the understanding that some elements of this psalm were even used during an earthly king's coronation. Um, uh, But uh, the main focus of our message would not be on the coronation of an earthly king, but looking at the spiritual truths that are contained therein, and that indeed there is very much um, kingdoms at battle one with another in the spiritual realm. And the psalmist uh, opens up with... uh, 
uh, quite some bold and strong statements here. He says, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? And so it seems that the the heathen refers to those that don't acknowledge God, those who reject the lordship of Jesus Christ. It describes there is a rage here and uh, an imagination of something that is vain, something that is futile. Now, this word vain is applied to lots of different things. You'll read of it a lot in the uh, uh, Ecclesiastes, the writings of uh, Solomon, uh, the uh, wisdom. Most of them are writings of Solomon. And uh, he uses that word um, a lot, vanity, things that are futile, worthless, uh, pointless, uh, temporary in value, uh, not lasting very long. In this case, this idea here that people imagine something that is vain, something that is futile, something that will not work out the way they would expect. But it also connects, uh, some scriptures connect vanity to the worship of idols. That's certainly a great expression of vanity. Um, it does not do the benefit of the worshiper, rather contributes to their worse, uh, to, to their demise, uh, worshiping something uh, or so, something that is false. And so uh, the psalmist answers the, the question here of what is this vain thing that the people are imagining or doing here? Um, is the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers? So these are people that are in authority, people that have influence, people that have control over various affairs, uh, take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Let's uh, unpack that a little bit and meditate on that. What what could that possibly mean? Uh, we could see that in the course of biblical recorded history, there have been many times and periods in history where those that are rulers, those that are kings, those that are in, in influence, uh, those that are judges, um, the word uh, judges is addressed um, in uh, later on in the psalm, we'll touch on that, um, have taken counsel together contrary to the Lord. And so we already see this battle of ideology, shall we say, um, touched on in this verse. Uh, Brother Gary mentioned uh, control and influence uh, in the message on this just this past Sunday. And this certainly touches on this kind of thing. There's just so much, so much conflict, so much posturing, maneuvering done about who controls what, um, who is in authority, who has influence, who has the greater influence, and so forth. And this verse touches on that too. Against the Lord and against his anointed. Ones that reject the absolute sovereign authority of God take counsel together and try to plot things against the Lord's plan, against his kingdom. And when has this happened? We can read of many stories in the scripture where such things have happened. So we'll give a few examples of that. So specifically against the Lord and against his anointed. So there's Many statements in Scripture, particularly prophetic types of statements, apply in multitudes of ways. Often there may be a specific application or meaning or prophecy for it, but that prophecy has often has echoes that apply to varying degrees on other situations as well, either prior to the main point of that prophecy and afterwards um, as well. And so my understanding is uh, the, the primary application here is against the Lord and against his anointed, against the Son, Jesus Christ. 
we, we talk about the, the, the lordship of Jesus Christ in the psalmist later and his identity and his preeminence um, and the, the deity of who Jesus is, is often being attacked in our world, uh, his authority and so forth. Uh, and so often this is how this, this plays out. But it, it has happened prior to his incarnation. So if we would focus in, in one sense, uh, one application of that in how the rulers have taken counsel together against the Lord Jesus while he was on the earth. Um, as a baby, Herod was fearful of another king. Uh, it's fascinating how that is, that sometimes those that are in authority and have great authority also are very fearful because it seems that their position, their authority is um, so- sometimes temporary or sometimes overthrown. Uh, sometimes they're killed and so forth, and then another successor takes place, and they would know that very well because likely they got to that place by doing that to the previous authorities. And so they know firsthand what can happen uh, to their role or their position and how quickly it can end. And so often they are very fearful. And Herod was among these, uh, it would seem, in his action, considering that even uh, a newborn baby would be threatening to his throne. Uh, and so he executes, uh, orders the execution of all the children in Bethlehem and the coast round about. Um, making sure to try to stamp out any possibility of some king of the Jews arising. But, of course, um, the Lord is not so easily fooled. He's not fooled at all. He knows what is going on um, before it happens and has arranged for them to escape into Egypt. Uh, we know that during the time of Jesus' teaching, this is now the ruler's the rulers of the Jews, these are not governmental rulers, they're religious rulers, but yet have much influence, even in a measure of governmental affairs uh, uh, there, and take counsel together against the Lord, finding, trying to, ways to find ways to trap him, to accuse him with something, um, because they feel threatened by his growing popularity and his influence and some of the statements and teachings that he has to the point that they take counsel together to have him executed and use their influence and persuasive uh, loudmouth power, so to speak. It was not um, a sound judgment. It was not a righteous judgment. It was not a logical argument and reasoning um, among well-reasoned minds. It was just inciting the mob, shouting things louder so that it would drown out reason. And as much as even Pilate um, who was in the position of making that judgment, um, knew that this was um, injustice, this was a false, a mockery of justice, so to speak, but yet felt overpowered uh, by uh, the forces that were at work. And so even in how, in how the things that influenced his judgment, it was not that which was righteous, uh, was not the facts, was not what was true or not. Um, in that confusion, uh, he made the judgment that sided with the mob and the, the, the rulers that were persuading the people to shout, crucify him, uh, and gave the order for such. And then the Roman authorities carried out the execution. 
You know, continuing on, uh, the Roman Empire, very much known for persecuting the followers of Jesus. And so then this carries on that those that worship the Lord and the Lord's anointed, uh, the kings of the earth at that time, the Roman rulers and the governors and the various authorities, all found ways to persecute the disciples of Jesus Christ very severely for centuries, um, uh, a difficult time uh, to exist. But these are, so in a sense, these might be very direct and obvious uh, examples of the of while Jesus was physically on the earth and shortly thereafter. But even prior to that, because we know who, who's behind this, this is not merely a human endeavor of this. Um, it is none other but the archdeceiver, the devil himself, deceiving people into believing a lie, just like he deceived Adam and Eve uh, to partake of the fruit uh, with a lie, uh, a, a partial truth woven in there, but ultimately a lie. Um, and we are reaping the consequences of the sinful fallen world ever since uh, that time. Uh, and so there's many times prior to that where the enemy had uh, moved among uh, people and rulers and those that had influence to uh, go against God's people. And so we can find evidence prior to that of him trying to destroy the lineage of Christ coming. It was prophesied that he would come through uh, the nation of Israel, of course. That was one of their callings, uh, to preserve the word of God, to be a witness in the world, and to bring about the lineage of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Um, and so we have even Pharaoh in Egypt killing all the babies, uh, or ordering the babies to be thrown in the river. Uh, and to be killed, uh, those that were male, because the, the nation was becoming too strong, uh, or, and he feared that. Again, there was this measure of fear for his uh, position. Um, fast forward to uh, Queen Esther's time, and the wicked Haman uh, persuaded the rulers of that day uh, with uh, to, to put out a decree to be able to annihilate uh, the Jews that were in the, the kingdom of Persia at that time. And had not, and God intervened, of course. He finds ways to preserve, uh, his plans and so forth. Uh, fast forward to much more recent history, of course, is the, the time of Hitler or the time of Stalin and various, uh, rulers and regimes very, uh, blatantly and in, uh, intentionally setting up against the Lord and against his anointed. Setting up their own kingdom, uh, with their own, uh, rules. Uh, contrary uh, to God. Uh, often, in these cases, there is not righteous judgment and, and no real justice. Uh, verse 10 addresses this here. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, and be instructed, ye judges of the earth. And so this extends not only to those that are government rulers, shall we say, and others that are in authority, uh, but those that are judges, uh, that are to, to judge between right and wrong, or the guilty and the innocent. Um, and we know at times that, even in, in recent history in, in our land, not every judgment that is made, especially when it touches matters concerning the truth of the Scriptures and the kingdom of God and what is morally right and what is morally wrong, uh, steadily various rulings and judgments come out uh, that are contrary to what the scriptures defines as what is good and what is right. Um, <clears throat> uh, and using their authority in ways that 
uh, would be contrary to the church. Um, and we see these kinds of things taking place in the news. Just a few days ago, I heard this or read this story about uh, a ruling in the Supreme Court in the United States that the, the state that upheld a ruling in the state of Nevada that casinos are allowed to open at 50%, but churches are much more limited uh, in what they can open. Um, and you can sort of see examples of these kinds of things that take and happen. Canadian Supreme Court, various rulings over time for various anti-religious, shall we say, laws. Uh, even, but it's not only those that are in, in, in uh, positions of government authority that this statement applies to. There are those that are in higher education, um, uh, professors and, and researchers and so forth, take counsel together, shall we say, and, and align themselves with an ideology that is contrary to the word of God. Uh, even though we live in an age where there is more and more evidence that proves, shall we say, that the, the scriptures are true. Um, with the discoveries of science um, and the discoveries of archaeology and so forth, uh, more than ever before, in, there, there has never been an age when there has been more evidence available and found to demonstrate that the scriptures are true. Um, much more easily to prove that now than it was a hundred years ago or two hundred years ago. And yet, persistence in higher education facilities and, and, and schools of learning and so forth consistently suppress and reject and use various unjust forces uh, to shut down, shall we say, and resist the discovery uh, of the truth of what is really real, what is really reality, uh, so to speak. Jesus is often ridiculed, uh, and, and they resort to various types of um, forms uh, like that. Because why, why do they do this? Verse 3 tells us their motivation. Here, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. They would find that submission to God is restrictive for them. This does not, uh, those that reject God, this is the, one of the primary reasons, of course. And this applies not to the, just only to those that are in authority, but this applies to every individual who rejects God. And there may be some here um, or some listening online that somewhere in your life you are rejecting the authority of God. You are rejecting his influence. You are resisting his influence because you feel it encroaches upon your autonomy. You, you feel it encroaches upon your personal freedom and your, your, um, your, the, your desires, your passions, your appetites, your lusts. I've had many conversations with people over the years. This is one of the reasons, as I try to witness to them, of the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and the truth of the scriptures. They don't want any higher power telling them what to do. We are autonomous. We have free choice. Well, God has given us free choice, but he's not given us absolute autonomy because we are subject to someone and something. And if we reject the authority of Jesus Christ, ultimately we submit to the authority of the the devil. Uh, many are deceived, not recognizing that or realizing that, but that is is the case. But God will not be mocked. Uh, the, the Bible says very clearly in, in Galatians, you know, God will not be mocked for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And so in that sense, uh, this uh, verse 4 tells us that uh, God will not be mocked. In fact, he laughs at this kind of futile thing. It's, it's sort of like uh, um, 
you know, a, a, an ant maybe uh, trying to fight against a human. You know, the, the human would, would, would laugh. This is, what, what kind of a battle is that? That's ridiculous. Um, they're just so mismatched. There's just no comparison. Um, and so uh, the Lord will not be mocked that way and chuckles at the efforts of humanity that think they can resist against the counsel of God and the things that God will uh, intend. <clears throat> you know, looking at more examples, uh, now not necessarily only looking at authorities, but looking at um, ways of thinking and ideology that people buy into, that individuals uh, promote, and that uh, society and uh, those that are in rulers promote. It's, it's the, the anti-God ideology, and it's in all sorts of different ways. Uh, we can think of the, the attack on marriage and the family. Uh, with uh, just the rise of divorce and the influence in society whenever that was, you know, divorce always existed. Uh, Moses had to make laws about that uh, to limit and protect at least uh, the vulnerable in in cases of divorce. Uh, It's not something that God ever uh, wanted to have happen. And Jesus made that very clear when he was asked about the question of divorce. Yeah, Moses did permit it in some cases uh, by the commandment of God, but that's not God's intention. And he was dealing with the fallen people, uh, people that had uh, not lived up to God's intentions. And uh, that has continued on to this day, uh, getting worse and worse and worse as uh, uh, the, just the, the breakdown of the sanctity of marriage, the commitment that is intended between a, a man and a woman committed in marriage for life. Um, that has been attacked a long time ago, and uh, the foundation, in some in some sense, uh, ripped out from under it. Um, but that uh, it gives rise, uh, continuing in that in that tide. Not necessarily that one causes the other, but it's the rejection of God's influences and principles in the lives uh, gives rise to immorality. And in the number of decades ago, with the, just the rise of loose immorality. The, the sexual revolution, so to speak, as it was called, uh, the rise of abortion, the confusion then of, of uh, gender identity, uh, calling one thing one thing, ignoring the obvious reality of how one is created and trying to recreate that um, with great invasive and painful means. Uh, the, the, I'm speaking against the ideology that promotes such things against the creation of God. And of course, unfortunately, there are people... Um, shall we say, innocent people caught up in this ideology or genuinely confused. It's not unusual at times when people get confused about what is true and what isn't. What, what is my identity and, and how am I supposed to be and, and, and so forth. And so we certainly want to recognize that Jesus has an answer for every confused thought that you might have or question or thing that you might wonder about. And that you don't have to feel badly about asking genuine questions or expressing the, the, the confusion that you might feel. Because Jesus has answers for that. But our culture also proposes to have answers. But because they have rejected the authority of Jesus, the answers that they will give you to those questions will be very different than the answers that the scriptures give you. Because God loves you and he's the one that has designed life and knows what it takes to facilitate and for life to flourish. But those that reject that accept the only alternative is death and destruction. 
And so their answers lead that direction as much as they would want to define otherwise. With relative truth and no absolute uh, morality, you know, how, how is one to measure what is truth and what is reality when some things that are just so obviously are attacked uh, that is reality? Another example of that is, is the whole ideology surrounding children and who owns the child. It might be a strange way to say that. Well, who owns the child? Well, there is an ideology out in this world that has been going on for quite some time that it's not parents that ultimately own the children, it's the state. And it's this battle between, well, who has the greater influence and authority over their children? Is it parents or is it the state? And we see the erosion of uh, the, that, that particular value even in our country where those that have taken counsel together against the Lord, not recognizing the preciousness of marriage and the preciousness of the family unit and children and how parents have the ultimate responsibility of training children in their values. Um, of course, to a certain extent, um, the state, our country, recognizes that. Um, but those kinds of things are being eroded uh, and that it is the state that owns the child, so to speak. And these ideologies are not only promoted among governments, they're promoted among, uh, shall we say, paragovernmental organizations, if that's the right term, such as the United Nations and various offshoots of these kinds of things that promote think tanks that promote ideologies that go counter to the teaching of the scriptures and then use various public institutions such as school to indoctrinate children without parental consent on certain subjects. Parents are not informed of what that is, not even allowed, so to speak, to pull their children out uh, of certain influences that, that they would consider to be uh, anti-God um, and, and so forth. Uh, or the whole promoting state-funded uh, child care is an example of ways to provide incentive to, ch- to, to parents to and make it easier and structure our economy such a way that it would seem that a two-parent income is almost necessary in order to live the kind of lifestyle that we have a right to and, and need to live. All of these kinds of things work towards influencing, taking away influence from parents and transferring that influence and control and indoctrination to the state rather than to parents. And we're always in a flux in a various battle of, you know, to what degree are we participating in that? And because we are in uh, an ungodly society, we, we find ourselves participating in various ways uh, to that. And I'm not suggesting that everyone's involved in these institutions are evil and are taking counsel together against the Lord. That's not at all what I'm implying. I'm talking about the, the ideology that is typically behind uh, these kinds of things where these vehicles are being used that way. Uh, but yet at the same time, we recognize that there are legitimate cases where help is needed in the family and third parties, including the state um, or public institutions, are beneficial uh, for, for that. Um, but as parents, we need to always be vigilant, recognizing that God holds us accountable for how our children are influenced and taught, and the values that they receive, uh, and so forth. And of course, um, we have believers that are called to uh, participate uh, and, and minister to children in such institutions in ways that they can be salt and light in um, showing the truth of the Word of God and how they conduct themselves. But yet we see the state limiting those kinds of influences and making it difficult and imposing penalties and so forth. Uh, when the word of God is taught uh, in those kinds of times. 
Uh, and we certainly know at times the government has outrightly lied to their citizens in order to advance a, per, a particular cause. And it only becomes known, you know, years later. And that typically happens during a time of war when there's so much propaganda against the enemy or against this person and so forth in order to incite the people up to a particular cause. Um, only Jesus Christ is true. But if we bring it down to common folk like you and me, and not just thinking about they out there, but how are we influenced from time to time in this kind of ideology, in even what it means to be human? You know, the Bible describes that we are created body, soul, and spirit. Very different from the animals. The, the ideology of the cultures that we're just, we're just a biological machine, just like an animal. We're, you know, we're only, you know, 0.2% difference in DNA or whatever the number is between us and an, and an animal. So there really isn't a whole lot of difference. So they say. The Bible gives a very different description of what it means to be human. Um, and that we are created in the image of God. Uh, we are the attention and love, have the attention and love of God. Uh, not nearly the same way as anything else in his creation. We value human life because God loves us. And God has this intrinsic value in human life because of his love and the redemption of Jesus Christ that offers us. Uh, not because we are able to perform something great uh, or not. And so every human life has value, regardless of their ability uh, to perform or function. Um, we talk, touched a little bit about the value of biblical roles in, in marriage and family uh, and, and how we structure our, even our, our family relationships and the relationship between husband and wife and, and the, uh, shall we say, the unpopular teaching that the husband is the head of the wife and the wife is submissive to her husband. But yet, the Bible teaches also uh, submitting one to another in the fear of God, as God is the authority of both. And the husband to love his wife in a sacrificial manner, the same way that Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. These messages are very contrary to the popular culture of what it looks like to fall in love and to get married and, and then to fall out of love and break up and start the cycle with somebody else again. Um, you know, consider the value of earning money is placed very high compared to the value of kingdom work that you can't Put a dollar figure on. What's the dollar figure of mentoring a soul and discipling someone or comforting someone or, or visiting someone that's in, in their hour of need? You can't put a dollar value on that. Um, but yet our culture would have us, it's, it's important to, uh, to, to earn money because we need to live a life, uh, with a certain level of, of affluence. Have we considered the value of, uh, these things that are, that, that are beyond putting a dollar value too. But what it would mean then is likely we need to give up some dollars or some opportunities to earn dollars in order to invest our time in things that are kingdom building rather than just merely career building and earning money. The training and discipline of children, you know, how much has the culture influenced us in how that takes place and educating our children and so forth. If we want to move on to some aspects of the psalm here, turning a corner and jumping to verse 7, where uh, we get into the identity of this Lord. Who is this Lord uh, that uh, he's speaking about against the Lord and his anointed? Uh, verse 7, I will declare the decree. 
The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So who is speaking to who here? It looks like to me, God is speaking to Jesus. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And this element of Jesus being God's only begotten son. So what, what does that mean? In what ways is this begotten uh, applied? Uh, the writer to Hebrews uh, quotes this in the very opening chapter as he's identifying the identity of who Jesus is and describing his supremacy above everyone else, the, the, all other, all creation and created beings, uh, like including the, the angels. So that, that quote, uh, Hebrews 1.5 uh, says here. So the, the writer to Hebrews is describing how Christ has the preeminence. And here's one example of his preeminence. He says, for which, for unto which of the angels said he at any time, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. He's only said that to the only begotten son. Uh, and again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Now, something that can uh, be confused, of course, is what does this word begotten mean? Because often this word describes birth, uh, when uh, a parent begets children, uh, and so forth. That word is described as well. But in the case of Jesus, he is uncreated. He was eternally one with the Father in eternity past. So how, how could begotten apply to him? He eternally proceedeth from the Father, begotten in eternity past. Not that there was a time when Jesus had a beginning, but rather, he always eternally proceeded from the Father. Uh, we, that's the one application or one meaning of this verse here in eternity past. But it applies in more than one sense. There's also the sense in, in verse 6, Hebrews brings it about here. And again, when, so he says, and again, when he bringeth the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. Jesus became incarnate, so he was born as a man. Not that that was when his existence began. He came of old, but that was the beginning of his human existence. And so in that sense, he is begotten at the incarnation. And we know that all the angels of God worshipped him, as there was a host of angels that came on that blessed night. And so there's something very special and unique about Jesus, eternally one with the Father, uh, as the only begotten Son of God. Worship Him. Uh, touching a little bit on verse 9, uh, speaks about a rod, a rod of iron. There will come a time when Jesus will rule and subdue all His enemies, those that are opposed him, and will destroy him with the brightness of his coming, is another description in one of the New Testament's uh, scriptures. Uh, but that's not the only usage of rod. You remember Psalm 23, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now, isn't that interesting? This same rod, um, or the same usage of the word rod, uh, here it says rod of iron, so that might be a different, would be a different rod than what a shepherd uses. It wasn't iron. But this element that the rod of Jesus, for those that are in Christ, they find that comforting. But those that are opposed to him, it will break them. And, 
those that stay opposed to him and don't uh, repent. And therefore, we have this in verse 10. Be wise, therefore, and be instructed, uh, not only kings, but judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. And so this is an invitation for all of you that may be present either here today um, or online or or, uh, listening or watching this later. If you find yourself at enmity with God, if you are not his child, then this is for you. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. It gives you a place to uh, rejoice um, because he is the only true uh, God. The um, And then finally, the, the, the beautiful, I love how this psalm ends. Uh, blessed are those that, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. This word blessed is a very rich word of well-being. When we put our trust in him. Do you want to be blessed? Do you want to have your life blessed? That includes the idea of happiness, but is much bigger than just happiness. Uh, the word shalom comes to mind as well. This word of, well, a Hebrew word describing well-being, uh, peace, and prosperity um, in ways that God values these things, not in the way that our culture values these things. He is the only source of that blessedness. And as we think of the, the <coughs> preeminence of who Jesus is, and think about all of the descriptive names that describe who he is. Let's ponder on that as our closing. As he's the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is Jehovah. He is the bright and morning star, the great I Am, the way, the truth, and the life the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the light of the world, our high priest, author of eternal salvation, Emmanuel, meaning God with us. What a beautiful name, statement, and meaning in that name. The chief shepherd, the deliverer, the healer, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Christ, the Word of God, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Judge, the Almighty, the blessed and only potentate, that means sovereign, King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality dwelling in light, to whom be honor and power everlasting. May we fully embrace him and worship him as Lord. Amen.